You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris. His name's Ed. We're Sacks in the Basement. 30 minutes of Sacks for fans, by fans. And uh, right after our episode that came out on Tuesday, if you missed it, make sure you check it out. It's really good with Scott Merkin. He gets into some stuff with Dylan Cease. We had asked questions about how he was being used and why does it seem like an innings count, not a pitch count. He addressed that. I guess he had talked to Dylan and not even had a chance to write about it until I asked him that question. So it's a really interesting interview. Talk about a lot of things on there. And then you and I, Ed, discussed Tim Anderson. And it was interesting that the show comes out. Then we find out that Tim Anderson is injured. And the first comment I got, and I don't blame the guy who left the comment. I would have made the comment myself on social media. Well, I guess you guys were wrong. He was injured this whole time. And that's why he hasn't been playing as well as he did in previous years. That isn't the case, though, is it? Because he hurt himself in his last at-bat on Saturday night. He's been fine up until that point. Yeah, on the, on the check swing, he he that's when he tore the ligament. Hey, look, it's a terrible injury. Hurts the team. Uh, team is downtrodden. And then you got Johnny Cueto on Thursday, before the game starts, standing in the locker room in front of a bunch of, uh, of microphones and recorders and such. And he said some stuff that I didn't think that was that big of a deal. Let's listen. I think we need to be more aggressive and we need to show more swagger. Uh, you know, we are kind of like comfortable. We, we, need, we need to fight. We need to show the fight. We need to show the, the, the fire that we have, if we have any. Now, I'd play Tony LaRusso's response, but the mutterings of that man are so indistinguishable. It's, it's not really... Well, first of all, yeah. One, it's hard to hear what he says, but two, the content of what he says... Just it doesn't make sense. I I think we can. I think anybody who's listening can take from Johnny Cueto what what that statement really is. Right? He's basically saying, "I know this team is good. We should know we're good. We should show the swagger that we know we have, and we should be out there fighting because you're two and a half back and floundering around 500, and the Guardians just took first place because the Twins are falling apart, and it should be you in there at this point. You've had every opportunity over the last couple of weeks, and think about this." Johnny Cueto's a guy that nobody in Major League Baseball thought much of. The White Sox take a flyer on him. We thought it was a great move when they went after him. and We probably were the first people to say, Johnny Cueto, maybe they should sign him before they even signed him. Then he goes out, he proves himself, he comes up, becomes the ace of a team. Such an unexpected rise back to glory for Johnny Cueto. He is the most reliable person on your staff, and every time he goes out there, it's like watching Jose Quintana 10 years ago. He goes out and he barely gives up any runs and his team can't score any for him. If I were him, I would have said much stronger words. I would have been I'd have been much angrier about the way this team played behind me. All he's saying is, I know we can do it, guys. Let's do it. Now Tony's like, well, we should have kept that in house and the family and mutter, mutter, and I don't I, I don't know why he said that. Curious statement. There's nothing curious about this statement. There's nothing curious about what Cueto said, and it's not inflammatory. He's not purposely picking on any one player or saying his team doesn't have any drive. He's saying, I know we can do this. Let's go. The, the thing that annoys me is, is keep it in the family. It's that word that gets tossed around the White Sox as though it is something where you don't 
take sides against the family, Fredo. So the minute Johnny Cueto says, look, I know we are a better team than what we showed tonight. Let's go out and get him. He's really, he's really not taking sides against the family. He's really not saying anything bad. He's just saying, oh, that was a bummer. We could have done better. If anything, he's trying to Bluto the team, you know, in an animal house sense, and sit there and go, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> no, it's not over now. Let's go. But he's, but he's just saying, you know, let's show him what we got. You know, he's not calling the team out. He's not calling out specific players. But here's Tony muttering about family. And Tony is here because he's family. And we don't we don't take sides against the family. You never take sides against the family. So you don't say anything out loud that's uncomfortable for somebody else in that room to hear. And that's why you're in third place right there. That's why you're in third place, especially because the old uncle in the family who's managing the team falls asleep on the couch during the first inning. This episode brought to you by family waterproofing solutions. One of the Southtown's best last year. I expect them to be on that list again when the Daily Southtown puts it out. Bowing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair, concrete raising, fixing the foundation when your sidewalk, your driveway, your patio is uneven. If you mention socks in the basement, you get money off. Give them a call 24-7 at 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. I hate the family thing too. Not the family dry. That's the family I like. No, familydry.com. That's good family. <laughs> That's, good That's the family. kind of family you want to hear about. Bad family is this team continuously trying to tell me their family. That's the biggest problem with this team. The biggest problem with the White Sox as an organization is that the billionaire owner has convinced all these people that they're his extended family. And by doing that, it almost fosters mediocrity because nobody feels like they're going to just get ousted because of a business decision. Did you see what the, the Tigers did? They got rid of their president and general manager today. Good for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen to our front office. Well, this is a team that should have won the uh, the division easily. And right now, it's got an outside chance. And then this is a team that was supposed to challenge to win the pennant and play for a World Series this year. Are we going to get a shakeup? I don't know, because it's a family, right? I mean, uh, other teams make business decisions. Like, I want, I want a front office. I want an ownership that doesn't see it as a family. I want, I want a group that runs my team and says, are you good? Then you play for me. We'll pay you. Are you bad? You're gone. That's what I want. I want accountability that you don't see inside of a family. I don't want where you sit around and you go, well, you know, there's, there's cousin so-and-so and yeah, he's never really had a job and he, he's still in his mother's basement when he's 42 years old, but he, he cuts lawns for a living on Friday and Saturdays for 20 bucks a pop. And then he goes up and spends it at the local tavern but we're still going to have him over for Thanksgiving because he's still part of the family and we're going to buy him some extra groceries around Christmas. All right, fine, because he's blood. We shouldn't be treating the players on this team that way. We shouldn't be playing, uh, treating the front office that way. And so to me, the family thing is a bunch of BS. Johnny Cueto is pointing out to his team, let's get going. And it's about time somebody said it because I'm with him. I'm, I'm there. Me and Johnny, who probably won't be on this team next year, right? But here's the, I mean, think of how sad it is that the guy who's rallying your team is a guy signed to a, to a deal where he could have opted out if he wasn't in the majors by a certain date and was a flyer pickup uh, after, after the season basically had started or spring training had started. That's the guy that's leading your team? That right there is a problem. That, that should really bother you as an organization because where are these young guys in this core saying that kind of stuff? That right there, too, is also sort of endemic of what we've been talking about with the the rebuild and where the core of this team really is at, because I don't hear Lucas Giolito saying that. 
I don't even really hear, you know, Dylan C saying that or Michael Kopech saying that if you're just sticking with the pitchers. I don't hear Liam saying that really out loud. Where's Luis Robert? Where's Aloy Jimenez? Where is Tim Anderson? I understand Tim just got hurt, but where was Tim before that? Even a guy like Josh Harrison, you know, a veteran that was brought in here who could be a guy that you sit there and go, this is going to be a guy that I want around. Or Larry Garcia, your longest tenured White Sox, uh, a guy that was here when Charles Comiskey owned the team. <laughs> He's not even saying it. I'm telling you, this team will drive you nuts, and I'll still go there. I, I can't get away from them. It's like a, a sickness of some sorts. Like, I, I'm still going to watch, and I'm still going to believe that they have an actual shot, and that they'll find their way into the postseason and shock all of us. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope Ed's proven wrong. I hope all of us are proven wrong. I hope we all look stupid at the end of the year. I'm going on Friday night. The day this episode comes out that night, I'm going to be at the ballpark. Come see me before the game kicks off at 33rd in Princeton. Cork and carry at the park. I'm bringing my teenage son there. We're going to have a good time. You can bring the kids over, bring the family over, bring whoever you're going to the game over to beforehand, anytime at Cork and carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark. And then you go into the game. And before you go into the game, maybe you get some food, have a couple of drinks, big, huge bar. They've got everything you can think of. The familiar favorites on tap and also some great craft beers. An incredible selection of spirits and wines. They are your home base for White Sox pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. Friday night, win or lose, it's going to be a party at Cork and Carry at the park. So get on over there. I'll see you there. Come by, say hi. I'll probably wear my socks in the basement t-shirt. We could talk all about what you're hearing on this show and what you've heard in previous weeks. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Remember to also check out their location, the original Cork and Carry Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Learn more, book your next event, corkandcarry.com. On the phone line with me right now, a guy who many on social media know as the Sox nerd. Uh, he sits up in a in a tower and puts all the really cool stats up on the scoreboard at Guaranteed Rate Field. His name is Dave Marin. How are you, Dave? Fantastic, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man. I appreciate you coming back on the show. It's been too long. I I know that you have had to come up with some interesting statistics this year. I've actually laughed. Like, first of all, the board is new. I remember the first couple of days, there were a lot of technical, like, why isn't this working? You kind of see it as a fan. I want to say that uh, Jay Buhner might have been batting for the White Sox, even though he's a retired <laughs> Seattle Mariner for about three innings, I think, on opening weekend. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, you got it down, and it looks really cool, but you have to come up with stats to put up there. And when a team is is struggling like our White Sox are, it must be difficult to find positive stats to throw up on that board. Well, my late mother always used to tell me, dig for the pony. And that, you know, is my way of always trying to find the positive. So what I try to do is I always, I just live in the, most of the time I just live in the moment of that at bat. So if a guy comes up and no matter who it is, it could be anyone from Jose Abreu to uh, Larry Garcia to Casper Wells. I always just try to look in, the, in that situation for something positive to put up. So I spend a lot of time uh, on baseballreference.com, uh, great site. I'm sure all your listeners know about it. But uh, looking at splits. So if Larry comes up with two outs, I see, well, how's he batting with two outs? How many of his RBIs have come with two outs? And then I'm always able to kind of craft some sort of hopeful, let's put it that way, hopeful <laughs> stat in that situation. Now, if I strike out or if I come up empty, then I fall back on maybe the biographical stuff or a, a positive 
game that he's had. So, yes, you're right. It is a challenge, but it's such a great job because it just keeps me into the game all the time. And one thing I always tell people is I've never complained about a long game because in my work, the game just flies no matter what's going on. So, um, but yeah, it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, we kind of wish that, or I kind of wish that every Sox player was Jose Abreu in August, right? Because then it would just be, as Al McGuire used to say, seashells and balloons. But I forge on. I, I, I keep trying. That's awesome. All right. So uh, what interesting statistical anomalies or things that you've discovered? What what have you found in this 2022 season? Well, what's interesting is that uh, you and I kind of rekindled or reconnected after I made that comment about Tim Anderson leading off. And now that he's out for a while, it uh, looks like about six weeks, I'm sure they're going to be trying different guys in the, in the leadoff spot. And one guy that um, kind of intrigues me is uh, Luis Robert. He batting lead off today. And I know this will probably post after the game, but he is uh, just like, remember when we had that conversation about Tim leading off and it was kind of before he was, you know, uh, established as a leadoff hitter, his numbers were good. I like Luis's numbers as a leadoff hitter. He slashes uh, 310, 355 and 437 in his career. And he's 316, 350, 316, 316's a little, but uh, leading off games. So I wouldn't mind seeing him get an extended look at number one. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that, but I like the power. I like the speed. As with the modern player, you wish they walked a little bit more. But uh, that one kind of kind of intrigues me. And Pollock's been good in the leadoff spot as well. And then there's always Larry. And then... Uh, one time this season we had Grandal batting leadoff, but yeah. I don't know if that's... No, I'm, I'm against that in every way. Look, I like the Robert leadoff stat because it, it, it falls in line with something that I'd like to see them do, and that is keep Andrew Vaughn in the two spot. He's been raking there, and with Jimenez and Abreu going 3-4 behind him, that was really dangerous there when they were doing it for a couple of games. Robert came back, and Tony immediately moved Vaughn down and put Robert in the two hole with, with Anderson gone and, and looking at how Robert leads off. I love that. I love that speed at the top. I think you give him a shot. I mean, at some point, Dave, you got to just basically pick your players and see what happens, right? Like, it, like maybe just say, Hey, Lennon, so, so we know what Garcia is. We're not exactly sure what you are. So go out there and play shortstop for a week. You know, just give him like a straight week and you know, pick something and go with it. Because at this point, you're, you're hurt. You got T.A. down. You, you, you haven't had a great season. You're sitting basically around 500 all year long. So, like, like pick something and go with it, and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. And, and I think the Anderson, or the uh, Robert thing in the, in the top spot is kind of uh, it's kind of evolving organically like it did when, uh, when Anderson took over. So, hopefully, you know, like, I don't mean to go all, like, retro on you, but, you know, maybe we look back on this day like we look back on Fisk moving to number two in the, in 1983, where this kind of sparks them and gives them that, that, that uh, potent bat at the top of the lineup, because I, I don't know about you, Chris, and I've really kind of racked my brains about this. I can't ever remember a five tool player that the White Sox have ever had like Luis Robert, right? Like a guy who can run, you know, hit for power, you know, do all those things. And, um, I'm just hoping, you know, that this this move kind of exploits um, his talents. 
Every guest here on Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they're doing this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. Anybody else that's kind of like standing out to you with something really interesting that you've found? Yeah, you know, here's something that I find a little kooky. And uh, I used to log stats all the time. Like I'd have, before the internet, I'd have these binders and I would log stats and RBIs and everything. But uh, the internet has taken care of that for me. Um, but one thing that I, stu- I do still log are go-ahead RBIs. That is the RBI that gives the Sox the lead at any juncture in the game. And the player who leads, according to my count, who leads the White Sox in go-ahead RBIs this season is A.J. Pollock. He has 13 go-ahead RBIs. And I find that to be, you know, you think it would be Abreu, you think it would be Robert, whatever. It's A.J. Pollock. He is the White Sox leader in go-ahead RBIs. And um, I'm going to try to put that on the board more because for some reason I, I don't get that one up a lot. No, get that up more. Get that one up more, Dave, because I think Tony needs to see it. I'll be honest with you. I want him to see the positives about A.J. Pollock. I would love to have a guy in Pollock who, yeah, he's up and down. Yeah, he's streaky. But he's also been very clutch. If clutch is a stat you believe in this year, and you just pointed that out. I also like putting up where he ranks among all-time leaders among Notre Dame players in home runs. I think he's, I think he's third behind Carl Yastrzemski and an old-timer named Cy Williams. Um, and then the other one that um, the other one that I think is kind of not it's interesting, but you know you always hear uh, and I mentioned it before how Abreu is just Mr. August, Mr. August. Well, it's really true. And, you know, he's hitting 332 in his career in August, and that is second in White Sox history. That's among guys who've had 200 games behind Eddie Collins, who, look him up, he was quite the player, who hit 337. But he's also 25th all-time with that 332 career average in August, and he's just right behind Babe Ruth, who's 24th. So this stuff about Abreu getting hot in August, it's legit. And, you know, I wish we could kind of trick him into thinking that, you know, a August, a April, but we can't do that. So that one's been, and he's kind of fun to watch in, in August. Cause it, you know, you see him like he's the, he's, he's our Abreu, right? He's that classic Abreu going the other way and doing all those great things. So August, he is legit in August. You have been working over there for a while and putting up these uh, glorious stats and you do it online underneath the, uh, the tag of at uh, socks nerd on Twitter. And I've seen you pop up on my, uh, my Facebook feed as well. You've also been watching Jose Abreu for a long time. Can you imagine this team without him? Because they're going to have to decide what they're going to do in the offseason with him. And if this team doesn't make the postseason, they may go with major upheaval. And I don't know if he's going to be involved in it, even though he's been one of the absolute best on this team. You can't be mad at Jose Abreu when you look at the 2022 White Sox. Can you even imagine what it would be like without him in this uh, in this lineup? What I love about him is that he's, he plays every day. I mean, he's out there every day. They have to, you know, they probably have to put him in a leg lock to get him out of the lineup. He's there every day. He's a great example. I think he, I mean, he hustles all the time and I think his defense is underrated. I mean, we've seen, we've seen him make some great like uh, catches uh, going into foul territory and everything. Yeah. I, I am, I am a hundred percent Abreu. I, I love the guy. And I think, you know, I think, you know, he likes being here and I think there's something to that as well. All right, before I let you go, Dave, uh, I have to ask you, after all of the grief that we have given 
and not always because of an issue with Larry Garcia, sometimes just questioning how he's being used, but we probably bag on him more than anybody on this team, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Is there a good stat on Garcia? Have you found something you're able to put up on the board that you fall back on when you're talking about Larry and he's up there at the plate? Well, Larry's good with two outs. I like that. Um, But one thing I did find out um, was that he had a three-hit game the other day as a shortstop. He was 31 years old, and I found out that the last shortstop older than Garcia to collect three three hits in a game was, well, you'll never get this. (laughs) Ooh! Borderline Hall of Famer, Jimmy Rollins. He did it at age 37 on May 10th, 2016. So... You found a way to compare Larry Garcia to Jimmy Rollins. Hey, man. <laughs> Give me five minutes, I'll compare him to anyone. But anyway, uh, uh, I'm always digging for like those positive situational stats. So Larry's good with two outs, and and uh, and I, I can I can find I can find anything positive on anyone in any situation. So that's as my mother said, I'm always digging for the pony. Yeah, we might need to have you on more often. We need as much positivity as we can have uh, over the next month or so with this team. Who knows if they'll turn it around? Uh, it, it's just like they're floundering. They're floundering, and they need they need your positive stuff up on the board. I'm I'm putting you responsible, Dave. You're responsible for revving this team up all on your shoulders. I hope that uh, you'll be able to handle that kind of pressure down the stretch. I will take it. <laughs> Dave Marin, follow him online at SoxNerd. Thanks so much, my friend. Thank you, Chris. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Going back on what we talked about last week with Tim Anderson and also thinking about Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu, $20 million this year. And his contract, I mean, technically, when you look at his age and stuff, you shouldn't have to pay him $20 million again. But let's just assume to bring him back, he's another he's $20 million next year. If, for some reason, Jose Abreu decides he doesn't want to play for the White Sox anymore or he's done with baseball or there is an upheaval in the front office and they say we need to make massive changes and we need that $20 million. I would go back to our conversation last week and say something so outlandish that is going to make people say that I'm an idiot. And I'm just going to throw it out there to you and ask you what you think about it. But you take the $12.5 million that Tim Anderson gets after you pick up his option and you pick up his option just like you did with Craig Kimbrell, but you deal him for a position of need. Because when I look at shortstop, and, and I, I know I right now people are like, I can't believe you just said that you're going to you're gonna trade Tim Anderson. I'm not saying I'm trading Tim, Tim Anderson. Just like last week when I said Tim Anderson is a good shortstop and you can win a championship with Tim Anderson. 
But with all the contracts on this team, the value of Anderson, he's the third best shortstop that's available if you take Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson, who are probably the two best that are available in free agency. Anderson would be the third best shortstop that's available. He'd be better than anybody else that's sitting in free agency. And at his price tag of $12.5 million, he's far below the expected 20-some million dollars that Swanson's going to get a year and nearly $30 million a year that Turner's going to get. So you're going to get something for him if you make the move. You may get a really good second baseman, defensive left-handed second baseman. You may, you may be able to add something to this team that's really good. So let's say Abreu doesn't come back, Vaughn moves over to first base, it takes care of a little bit of that log jam. He's back in a natural position. All right. You trade Tim Anderson away, and now you have $32.5 million to play with. Now you can go sign Dansby Swanson for $20 million a year, better defensive and better offensive player, especially this season. Then the guy that you have at shortstop, you upgrade shortstop. You get whatever you get for Anderson, which is going to be an upgrade of whatever position you go and make that play for, and you haven't raised the salary substantially in any way. You haven't raised the, what you're paying for your on-field product. It's a, it's a crazy idea, but I think what happens to Jose Abreu could impact what happens to Tim Anderson in the offseason because you could very suddenly create a swell of money and with Anderson being a valuable piece at only $12.5 million and another option you're sitting on there for the team that you're dealing him to and the Abreu money coming clear – it could be at least something that a new regime would consider. I don't think the current regime would consider it at all, but a new regime, a new general manager could consider. Am I nuts? No, you're not nuts because that's kind of what everybody's been having to talk about here a little bit. Anybody who's attacked the question of what do we do with this team and how do we make a change because what's going on doesn't seem to be working. You don't have much coming off the books. Anderson, if you don't pick up his option, is 12-5. Abreu is 20 million. You're you're losing Johnny Cueto's, you know, relatively inexpensive contract here. Yeah, you're not going to be able to re-sign him. <laughs> like, yeah. like, the guy who's calling everybody out ain't going to be on this team next year. I'd be shocked. Yeah, he he. It would be surprising if they show the fire. If they show what he's what he's talking about, maybe it comes around. But the big money doesn't come off of off of this roster until 2024, when Grandal, Hendricks, Pollock, Anderson. If you pick up his, you know, his. Uh, his option, Jake Diekman, you know, he comes off his 4 million comes off. Um, but you know, you're not losing the big money off of Pollock, Rondal and Hendricks for another year. Yeah. Cause Pollock's going to pick up his $10 million option. It's a player option. And I think he'd be crazy, especially the way he was used this year, unless he really hates Tony. I mean, he could be frustrated oh, right. with the way he's yeah. been used and he'd be like, I'll give up that 10 million and roll the dice that I get nine or 10 million someplace else. And he could leave. Because I can see him being frustrated with the way he was used. A.J. Pollock can't be happy with the way that Tony La Russa has deployed him this year. You may you may not like how A.J. Pollock has played, and A.J. Pollock is going to sit there and say, well, if I would have gotten to play more regularly, especially early in the season, I might have had a better, better season to this date. So you don't know what he's thinking, but let's assume he picks it up because $10 million is $10 million, and you don't know if you're going to get that in free agency. Especially at 35 years old. So, right. so really, what you're talking about here is you're talking about Abreu leaving you're talking about taking a guy now we're looking at who's on this team that actually has real value that you're going to get back viable major league players because we can't trade for prospects anymore prospects don't work this team needs to win because again after 2024 you're also losing some you know some some players here 
you need to, to maximize value. Tim has value. I don't think you're crazy for saying that at all because otherwise, who are we talking about that is still had a good season? Because here's here's the metric, right? Had a good season, has value at a, at a position. A team would look at them as an upgrade over something that they already have, okay? So you could sit there and say, well, somebody could look at Yasmani Grandal as an upgrade, uh, but you're selling really low on him because – He's also shown the past two seasons that he's a guy with chronic, he's an aging catcher with chronic knee problems and a batting average issue. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing, Ed, and I think you just illustrated it perfectly. The reason that I'm sitting here and I'm going through this exercise of you could move Tim Anderson theoretically in the offseason is not because I want to move Tim Anderson, but for everybody that says this team needs to be shaken up and you need to make moves in the offseason and you need to see this upheaval and you, you heard Scott Merkin say it on the last episode. And if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it on demand anywhere podcasts can be found and always at SoxInVasement.com. He said, look for a reckoning. And it's not only could be in the front office, it could be with player personnel. You may want to see them make deals to swap players with other teams to bring other players back and retool this team and remake this team so that you're still competitive, not only next year, but in future years. But to do that, you're going to have to hurt yourself somehow. It would hurt to trade Tim Anderson away. He means a lot to the South Side. He is, he's this boisterous voice. I enjoy listening to him talk and watching him play. So don't get me wrong on that. But when I'm trying to find value that another team may say, we're going to give you something good for that. And you're going to be able to take some money off the books And you're going to be able to then replace it in free agency because I think you actually have a chance, especially if Abreu doesn't come back or if you decide not to bring him back, to gather enough money and funds to legitimately not only sit at the table, but actually get the free agent that you want and pick up a guy like Dansby Swanson or a Trey Turner or something like that. It's an exercise in what's going to happen if you go ahead and try to change the team makeup around. You're going to have to move a guy like that. Everybody's like, oh, we'll just move Moncada. Who wants him? Uh, We'll move Grandal. Who's giving you very much for him? Right. What have they done this year and uh, that has shown any team that they should give you something good for that player? That's what I'm trying to point out. If you're going to make a move, you're going to have to hurt yourself a little bit by giving up something of value. And not giving up something that is a long-term piece either because Anderson is a guy that is going to – he might – price himself out of the White Sox market when he does eventually become a free agent. Remember, he's 30. He runs out of his contract. That's it. As you watch Tim Anderson, is there something in you that makes you think he's giving a hometown discount when it finally runs out? Or do you think he's going to get paid? No, he's going to get paid. He, okay. The man's going to want to get paid. I, and, and I don't think that that's a slap at the South Side. I don't think that's a slap at the White Sox. I think that is Tim Anderson saying that he he is in – a lot of ways, one of the big name shortstops in the major leagues. And he should be paid like a big name shortstop. He should not, in the waning years of his career, have to take a hometown discount just to make the White Sox happy. I think it's, you know, it's always possible. As fans, I think we always love to think of the idea that somebody's going to sit there and say, this is my team from the start. This is where I'm going to finish. And I understand how Jerry works. I understand what this team needs. So I'm willing to make this a more team-friendly deal. But it's still going to come with a raise. Even if he goes with a team-friendly deal, it's still going to come with a raise. If in two years, $30 million a year 
for a, a premium shortstop and Tim Anderson is considered a premium shortstop, if that's the going rate, he's still going to be making more than 12.5. He's still going to be a $25 million a year player. It's still a big ticket item that we're talking about. So that, when I say he might price himself out too, he may be asking for something that is reasonable and might, be, might even be a hometown discount, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Sox are opening up the wallet for him. If you want to make real change to this team in the offseason, it's not just going to be players that you're tired of because they didn't live up to expectations or players that you're not as attached to. It might have to be a player you're really attached to. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. I mean, your, your other option is to go and try the same thing over again next year. Do you think that's going to work? Does the same group just comes walking out next year with the same manager? Because he ain't going anywhere. <clears throat> no. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.